needs to do. Uh, no explanation needed at that point. He is just everything. Well, this is a series that we believe during this season of time is just really appropriate. It's just like the Lord is giving heart to give us blessing beyond measure. And Susie really started this out today by, by saying, when it comes to giving yourself to Jesus, we get way better than we deserve, don't we? If you really know Jesus, I, I think we stand before him in reality embarrassed that we're being blessed so much when we don't deserve it. He gave to the world his only begotten son that nobody should perish. While we were yet enemies of God, he loved us. Wow. So we are already blessed beyond measure just in that aspect. But there are things in life that we can choose to do that rob us of blessings. Have anybody ever done that before? I think anybody that's lived past the age of five could say, yes, I, I've done that. You know, where I've robbed myself of the blessing God wants me to have. And so I want to talk about that today, about how we can position ourselves not to rob ourselves. And I want to do that today for today's message by showcasing a man in the Bible that probably epitomizes how to be blessed. And it's King David. He wasn't always a king. He was just little David with a sling at one time. I mean, remember, David killed Goliath, the giant. And it's, it's even a metaphor today that David and Goliath, if, if, if you're watching some of your favorite survivor is now David and Goliath, right? I, I like to make it real. <laughs> Any survivor fans out there? Susie, put your hand up. I, she makes me watch Survivor. I put myself there every now and then. I go, would not be that hungry ever if I could choose. You know, never, never give me a choice. I will not ever be that hungry by my choice. <clears throat> but David lived a life that truly was blessed beyond measure. He did some things that robbed himself of blessing. This is the thing I love about the Bible. There is not a figure in the Bible that we can't identify with. There's not a figure in the Bible that didn't make grave mistakes. Even the champions of the Bible made horrific mistakes. But they got mercy when they asked for it. There is one in the Bible who was perfect. And that was Jesus and still is Jesus. But this man, David, has a life that we can emulate in so many ways and we can learn from it. I want to start with a story that launched his ministry, so to speak, launched his reign as king. He was not king until the next day or two after this incident that I'm going to read about. What has taken place is David's worst nightmare. It's a, one of the worst days of his life. And it's just like Jesus to take one of the worst days of his life and turn it into one of the best days of his life. He had been banned from Israel, banned from his church, banned from his home. He even had to pull his mom and dad out of Israel to keep them alive, put them in a foreign land. And David was running for his life, they think, for about 20 years in the wilderness. Running from the king who he had served and loved and adored and honored. 
And even in the midst of those 20 years, he still honored the king when he had a chance to kill him. David was playing things right, and yet his life didn't seem to be getting any better. The day that we're going to read about is a day that came about by him leaving the city that he'd been given, Ziklag, and on their way back with his 600 men. These were 600 men that he had taken in who were indebted, discouraged, and disgruntled. Now, if you're an employer, those are the last three people you hire. You would prefer them not to be any one of those things, and yet David took in people that were disgruntled, discouraged, and in debt. And he turned them into a mighty army, only 600 guys, and they just set the world on fire. I mean, he, he trained them up and he raised them up. They even began to etch out a, a living in their own city away from Israel where they were safe in this place called Ziklag, and it was where they invested their, it was their home. And on the way back, after being gone for a number of days, they come back, and as they approach their home, they see smoke rising over their homes. And their worst nightmare came to pass. As they approached the city of Ziklag, it had been leveled by fire. Everything they had built in the natural was gone, but also all their wives and children. They were reduced to nothing at that point. And the men became so discouraged, the Bible said, that they spoke of stoning their leader, David. Now, can you imagine taking 600 people, getting them out of debt, getting them undiscouraged, getting them undisgruntled, and training them up and raising them up to be champions, and now they're turning on David. They are so distraught over the loss of their family that they're talking of stoning David. The Bible says that David at this point turns to the only thing that's ever strengthened his life when things got rough. And it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? If you've ever been a leader and had everybody turn on you, people that really owe you, and yet they've turned on you, there's probably nothing worse in that. And he not only has this happening, he's lost his wives and children and everything he's built. And yet the Bible says he goes into the house of the Lord his house. It wasn't necessarily a church, but he, he strengthened himself in the Lord. This is how I fight my battles in the Lord. This is how we fight our battles. Praising. And, and he came out and he asked the Lord, can we recover what was lost? And the Lord says, yes, you can recover. So David pursued the Amalekites who had destroyed and taken everything. But what was really cool is in the midst of this, nobody had been killed or hurt when the Amalekites had taken Ziklag. They took them captive, but they didn't kill or hurt anybody. They'd preserved everything, and this horde had taken everything with them, but had not killed any of the children or wives. So God was true. David went after these guys with his 600 men. And this is where the story picks up. If you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel 30, Verse 7, remember, we're showing you how David started his ministry, how he started his reign, how he began to become king at the start of his kingdom. This is what is taking place. Chapter 30, 1 Samuel, verse 16. And when he had taken, um, what had happened was, oh, excuse me, verse 7. 
I got ahead of myself. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you will surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and the 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook. They run across an Egyptian servant who had been left behind by the Amalekite horde and they restored him and they said, hey, tell us where these guys are at. He said, if you promise not to turn me over to them or kill me, I'll tell you everything you need to know. They restore this guy, they feed him, they nurse him back to health and he takes them down in verse 16 and this guy from Egypt and went, the servant, he had taken David down, behold, the Amalekite horde was spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that these Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. And David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. So these men that wanted to stone him were feeling a little guilty at this point. (laughs) They're gonna do some makeup to David. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. Now watch how people respond to this and how David responds to this. This is part of being blessed beyond measure. You ready? And they went out to meet David, these 200 men, and to meet the people who were with him. You imagine how excited they were to see their families restored and to see David come back whole. And they're excited and they run out. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then... All the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. Except that each man may lead away his own wife and children and they can just leave. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us, and he has given into our hand the band who came against us. In other words, you did not recover this spoil. You see the difference in thinking? Who would listen to you, he says, in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray and then release you to greet yourselves for, greet yourselves, that's cute. (laughs) Just took your right hand into your left hand and say, glad, really glad I made it today. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for this people. Bless them. 
Bless them, Lord, in all the ways that they can't bless themselves, Father. In your precious name we pray, and everybody said amen. amen. Go greet somebody else's hand. All right. Before I forget, um, as you're heading back towards your seats, I wonder if we could have all the veterans stand up right now. Could you stand up and let's just give a hand to all our veterans in the house. Would you do that for us? Yay. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Bless you for your service. We live in the greatest nation in the world because I said so. No, I think we're very blessed, aren't we? We are amazingly blessed. And most of us can't take credit for that. We're a part of the package, but veterans, you have made that possible in so many ways for us. Bless you. I'm going to start crying, so let's just keep moving on. David began his ministry with that story. He ended up sending out an offering to 14 different cities of elders who had taken care of his army over the years. Not just his army, but his family. So of all that, that, that spoil that they said, this is David's, he took that and gave it to 14 different people. What a heart. Well, how did that play out? It wasn't a day or two later that the, well, as all this was taking place, Saul was actually being killed on the battlefield. So Israel was losing their king at the same time Ziklag was lost. And David didn't know this. He was just surviving. Had no idea Saul and his best friend Jonathan had been killed on the battlefield. So after they restored everything, he began to get word that Saul was dead. And he mourned Saul. He, he handled himself so beautifully. He stayed in a position of blessing by not trashing the king that had tried to trash him. But he, in fact, honored him and Jonathan with a beautiful song of tribute. And that's where we get the phrase, oh, how the mighty have fallen. That's in the Bible. So many phrases you hear in the world, a house divided cannot stand. That wasn't Abraham Lincoln. He was quoting the Bible. So things like that, people don't even know that we're so unbiblically literate anymore that uh, we don't know phrases. But oh, how the mighty have fallen was in the song of David to Saul. Well, the tribe of Judah, of which David was a part, came to David shortly after Ziklag and made him king for the first time. At about the age of 40, we think, after he'd wandered in the wilderness with a promise for 20 years that he was going to be king, he finally gave up on that dream in so many ways. And yet, after Ziklag, after the way he responded, after he said, God gives it all, and everything, everything, Belongs to God. So David's life, his beginning and his ending are wrapped around his understanding that everything comes from God. This is one of the main principles to be blessed beyond measure. You cannot be blessed beyond measure unless you understand the source of all blessing. Impossible. In fact, as we break out Luke 6 which is a treatise on how to become blessed beyond measure. 
the key scriptures can only come to fruition in our life unless we understand. We can't even operate as a disciple of Christ unless we understand apart from him, we have nothing. With him, we have everything. For the Lord, David said, for the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I have need of. The Lord it was David's shepherd. David understood and realized that everything came from God. Susie and I had this played out in our life. And you know, how many witnesses are out here where you know? Isn't it good to be reminded though, saints? That it's, we're outsourced by him to you. He has given you everything of value in your life. Everything of value comes from him. Well, up until 1983, I gave God 10% of what I earned. And I was the man of the house, and I was in charge of making sure that we were provided for. Because us men, we bring home the bread. And now you ladies sometimes bring home more. But anyway, I was in charge of providing for my family. And we were making out a living. Bought our first house at 13 or 14%, 13% interest. Our first little house, 900 square feet. I provided that with my bare hands. Didn't I do a good job? One bathroom, two small bedrooms. It was a wonderful. And I had the feeling that I had to work to provide for my family. And in 1983, God called Susie and I to go to Kellogg. Kellogg's in North Idaho. Pastor Bert and Pat were up there. They wrote us a letter, said, hey, will you give your life for the gospel? Will you come serve in Kellogg? And we're crying. And he said, we don't have any money. We can't promise you anything. We're crying over this letter. They reneged on that. We arrived, and within a couple months, they started paying us 50 bucks a month. It was a real pour out of our blessing. But you got to understand, back in those days, there were, you know, not that many people in the church. So we, we felt blessed to get anything. But I remember knowing that this whole thing was the Lord's plan. This was the Lord's idea. I didn't come up with this idea. It was too crazy. So Susie and I loaded everything we owned in a little U-Haul, and we headed for Kellogg. I had just received my tenure as a teacher in the Meridian School District. And now I'm moving to a town that had an economic downturn because the mines were shutting down and they had just put a reduction in force policy in place at the Kellogg School District. They were trying to get rid of teachers. And I was going to a town that was getting rid of teachers, small church, but we were just knew it was God. We were so excited. My father, very spiritual man that he was, looked down at me and he said, well, you're young. If you're making a mistake, you can bounce back. <laughs> Those were his exact words. <laughs> so I left on that encouraging note from my father. My grandma, Nola, who was queen of Christmas candy, stopped giving Christmas candy to Susie and I for about 10 years after that. If you know Nola, that was a riot. That was just funny. She didn't like the idea we were going to Kellogg. But we knew it was God. We get up there with no house, no promise of a job. I can probably substitute in the district. But because this was God's idea, it was so obvious to me it wasn't my fault. So it wasn't my responsibility to take care of us anymore. Something tripped in my mind and said, 
God is provision for his vision. This isn't my vision, so it's his vision. He's got to put up the money for this. It just flipped on me. I never thought that way as a man. I was responsible. Now, what's really crazy is men and women probably, over time you start taking it back, don't you? I don't know if you've experienced this, but I get up to Kellogg and I had so much faith. In fact, Susie, God gave Susie a scripture that says, I will give you a double portion for everything you give up. And she came to me perplexed. She'd never seen it. She goes, is that, is that true? I said, well, is it in the Bible? She goes, yeah, it's right here. I go, well, then it's true. Within a several, I don't know, we, we moved in with Susie's mom and dad. I was been married for eight years at that point and I'm moving in with my in-laws. And we're living in her house, our stuff's in the garage, and no promise of a job, but we're just giddy because the Lord's our provider. Everything good comes from God, and he was taking care of us. I told you we got 50 bucks a month. We didn't even know that was coming in. And God began to give me, I remember down here that I was a middle school coach, and I wanted to go to the varsity. And back in those days, the Meridian School District, if you taught at the middle school, you couldn't coach varsity sports. That's just the way it was in the culture. And so I knew I'd never get to be a varsity coach. Well, even before I got to Kellogg, I became varsity assistant basketball coach. God gave me that. It was so cool. David's senior year. Yeah, David? I turned his program around, single-handed. <laughs> it was amazing. He, wasn't, he couldn't do anything until I showed up. Became the athletic phenom that he was. As a varsity assistant, I coached the JVs. David wasn't on JV. But I already had a varsity job. And God just began to give us one thing after another. And pretty soon we're living in a house twice as big as the one we were living in. We were renting it. But the market had dropped because of the economy. And so we got into this house fairly inexpensively. And all of a sudden we're sitting in this house. It even had fireplaces. Twice as big. And we're just going... and. Lo and behold, we got our first color TV set that year. That was the real indicator God was with us. <laughs> we found out the Incredible Hulk actually turns green. We, we watched that. We went, oh, my gosh, he's been turning green all these years. And it, it, we went from a 13-inch to, I think, a whopping 18-inch or something. It was huge. And the Hulk went about that big. I about got scared when he turned in. It was amazing. And God just began to bless and bless by September 15th. We moved August 15th of that year, 1983. By September 15th, one of the science teachers, now this is the part that baffled me at first. One of the older science teachers there found out he was ill and had to pull out of the classroom. And they grabbed me and put me in. And I taught out of the same textbook I'd left down at Lake Hazel Junior High. He never came back. I stayed in that classroom from September 15th through the end of the year. Now, what Kellogg did that was really funny was I'd never seen this before. They paid their subs based on how long they subbed in a row. So if you sub for four or three weeks, maybe they do that now. I, I never heard of it. I didn't know they did this. After three weeks, they came back and said, oh, you're now a longer-term sub, so we owe you more money, and we'll retroactively pay you for those three weeks on what you should have got now that you're long-term. Then I went another, and they'd come back and say, hey, by the way, now you're a long, long-term sub, so we got to retroact and pay you. By the end of the year, we were making a bigger check than what I'd left in Meridian. Now we knew I wasn't going to get paid through the summer, so we saved. But God gave us enough through that job. We couldn't believe it. The day 
I signed my contract with Kellogg was the day that, that man whose class I took passed away. Now, of course, I had some guilt, but God says, no, he'd been sick long before I ever sent you here, Ralph. So God didn't kill a man so I could get a job. <laughs> just for the immature Christian, <laughs> just... <laughs> I was blessed beyond belief, but he, hey, he was a, <laughs> he was really old and he was happy went to be with Jesus. But just one thing after another that year, I realized God's our provider, gang. He has it all. 24 years later, we went up there, the lowest paid employee of the Kellogg School District. I came out second highest paid employee of the Kellogg School District the year I left. God just blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. But that was kind of the beginning of our ministry. Our full-time, so to speak, ministry began with Pastor Bert and Pat in Kellogg, where we were the associates, we were on the board, we led worship, led the choir, drove the bus, cleaned the bottles for the baby's nursery. No, not really. But that's when our ministry started, and it started on the premise that everything good comes from God. And I'm not the provider. I've got to be willing to do the work. I don't think any early bird ever gets a worm sitting in its nest. God provides the worm, but worms are found out of the nest on the ground. But he gives you wings, doesn't he? Thank you, Jesus, for wings. Thank you, Jesus, for good health. I left the district with so many personal days uh, 290, I never got, got I, God just kept me healthy. Can you guys force yourself to stay of good health for the next year? 2019, I don't want none of you to get sick one day. Can you make that happen? Wouldn't you love to wave a magic wand over that one? Thank you, Jesus, for health. Everything comes from God. It's a mystery in the Bible. It talks about the mystery of how does God even form bones in a mother's womb. Your bones were made by God. Your muscle, your breath, your lungs, everything comes from God. We are so blessed. So David began his reign by saying, hey, man, we did not get this spoil. God gave us the victory. God gave us this spoil. It's not ours, so we willingly share. Yeah? So that's the first principle in your life. So David goes on and has a 40-year career as king. And he makes some mistakes, major mistakes. God gives him mercy, grace. David was so blessed beyond measure that he did something no other king has done before or since, in the Bible at least. He turns the kingdom over to his son before he dies. That's really rare. Most of the kings would hang on to the bitter end, and then when they died, then you could replace them. But David was so this way with everything God. It's yours, God. This kingdom's yours. Everything I have is yours. And he wanted to build a temple for the Lord, and the Lord says, no, because you are a man of war and you shed blood, I'm going to let your son Solomon build the temple. And David says, yeah, but there's no rule against me given to the temple, is there? And towards the end of David's life, he asked for a huge offering to dump into his son Solomon's lap to build the temple. And David gave of his own resources hugely towards that project while he was still alive. Isn't that blessed beyond measure? Be able to bless your babies before you go. Be able to watch how they do and set them up before you go. 
Not to just say, you know, on the back of your Winnebago, we're spending our children's inheritance. You know, I think that's okay. It's your right. Don't spoil your kids. Don't let them, you know, not learn responsibility. But isn't it beautiful when King David could turn this over to Solomon, set him up as king, and give him all the wherewithal to be a good king? Blessed beyond measure. So David has done this. He's asked for a big offering. He's about 80 years old, and he's asked everybody to come in and give to the house of the Lord. And he's given liberally out of his abundance to the house of the Lord. And David says this last public prayer that he ever prays. Now, you've seen how he begins his reign. Listen to how David ends his reign. If you'll turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 beginning with verse 11. What I'd like you to do today is see if you can underline or highlight the phrases in this prayer that are the principle that David lived with. That everything comes from God. So David has now at the end of his life, he's making a public prayer and he says this. To you, O God... Belong the greatness and the might, the glory, the victory, the majesty, the splendor. Yes, everything in heaven, everything on earth, the kingdom, all yours. And most of us Christians, when we heard him say the kingdom, we're thinking God's kingdom. But remember, he's king of a kingdom. He's saying my kingdom is yours. For 40 years, I've served with all my might, but God... It's still all yours. Now, as a pastor, can I say this is my church well of sorts, but in reality, in my heart, I've got to say, God, this is your house. Unless you build this house, I labor in vain to try to build it. It's your house, God. Father, these children are your children. These grandchildren we dedicated, Father, we dedicate them and we open our hands and we say they're yours, Lord. Now, we know you give them back to us to steward over them, but in reality, they're yours, Lord. Susie and I can tell you that two people can come together and do everything within their power and not make a baby. So when we look at your babies, we know who gave them to you. The Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. They're not yours. They're on loan for you to raise them right and then give them back to God. It helps you have a blessing beyond measure when you can do that. When you can take everything that's yours and do this before the Lord. The Bible says that the elders in heaven, when they're elders, that means they're rulers, they're leaders. They took their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus. That's how you end your life people of God. All your accomplishments, all your trophies, all that you've ever done, you say, yes, everything in heaven, everything on earth, my kingdom, it's all yours, God. You've raised up yourself high over all of that, God. But me, who am I, and who are these, my people, that we should presume to be giving something to you? Everything comes from you. All we're doing 
is giving back what we've been given from your generous hand. Do you believe that this morning or did you win the victory and is it your spoil? Did by the sweat of your brow make yourself successful? The Bible called those men wicked and worthless. And I don't think any of you deserve that title. But you've got to have a mindset that says, I gave the effort because I had the breath that you gave me, God. Paul said, I serve you as an apostle like nobody else because, God, you've given me the grace to be able to run this fast, run this hard, be this intense. That all came from you, God. I can't take credit for that. The Bible even says you can't add one little fraction of an inch to your height through your own concerns or worries. But who am I? Everything comes from you. All we're doing is giving back what you've given in us. Going on to verse 16. God, our God, all these materials, these piles of stuff for building a house of worship for you and those piles of things in your garage and in your storage unit and in your barn and in your car and in your 401k And in your Percy, all these piles of stuff for building a house of worship, our four-year, our $1.5 million building program, all this stuff, hmm, honoring your holy name, it all came from you. It was all yours Do you believe your 401k is really God's? You don't have to say it out loud, but this is what we're asking in our hearts this morning. Oh, God, do I really believe my retirement that I've earned just came from you anyway? My big check, my little check, my great athleticism, my great music talent, my ability to handle numbers and my ability to do these kind of things. God, do I really believe all my talent and all my giftings and all my wherewithal came from you? It was all yours in the first place. Verse 17, I know, dear God, that you care nothing for the surface. You want us, our true selves. And so I have given from the heart, honestly and Happily, God loves a cheerful giver, doesn't he? That says you're giving cheerfully because you're saying, God has blessed me, so I'm getting to bless. I was very blessed. Did anybody get to choose where you were born? Anybody in here? I did a a research paper to get my master's degree on the unfairness of homework. (laughs) I'd always wanted to do that study. And we came up with this phrase, the day of birth is the most unfair day of anybody's life. Because those kids didn't choose the single parent drug addict who doesn't give them a place to do their homework and their 16 screaming stepchildren and the TV's blaring and we as teachers expect them to etch out an hour a night to do their homework when the children that are from a fortunate home have parents with guidelines and rules and love and Did you choose your parents? Did you choose to live 
in one of the greatest countries ever to exist on this planet. Did you give yourself that? Did you set yourself up by writing the Declaration of Independence and establishing a fair market system and waves of grain from sea to shining sea? Did you guys, anybody do that? We are so blessed just to live in America. Yes? God did that for me. And now we're finding out that the Treasure Valley is one of the top places to bring a family in the United States. I went to high school here. I never made that happen. Did we really do it? Is all this because of us? God lets us participate. He calls it gods and sons. Yes, but everything that's good in our life comes from Jesus. And it's because I'm blessed, I give happily. My grandpa would take us out to eat. Now, you've heard this story before. Grandpa was a farmer over here on, he had 24 head of cattle, which nowadays that's no big deal. But to him, he was rich. And he'd get a little bull calf, and he couldn't turn it into a milking cow, so he would sell the little bull calves. And he would take it to the sale. And every time, it seemed like every time grandpa sold a calf, God gave him a huge amount of money for that calf. And he would say, let's celebrate. Let's go to the royal and eat at the smorgasbord. God gave me. And he would tell us while we're eating, we're doing this. I'm giving this to you because God gave me a bunch of money for that bull calf. Somehow I thought everybody else's calf sold for $10 and grandpa sold for $200. Something happened there. That's the feeling he gave us. Isn't God good to me? And I happily treat my family now to a meal. Because God has blessed me. And David is saying that. What a joy. I have given from the heart honestly and happily and now see all these people doing the same, Lord. Giving freely, willingly. What a joy. As Lori comes, I just want to say if you're a young married couple, if you're a young person, if you could start out your life right now saying, everything I own is God's. All blessings, all honor, all glory come from him. Even my physicality, everything about me, there's things I don't like, of course, but everything good in my life comes from, it's all God's. It will change the trajectory of your trip to Kellogg. It will change your trajectory of your life. Young people, begin to give back to God out of a generous wonderful heart. Don't be wicked and withhold because it's mine. I made it. Give freely to the Lord. Just let your heart go. Just everything is God's. And it'll begin to change your trajectory like you will not. It will bless you beyond measure. I'm telling you right now, I was once young. Now I'm old and I've never seen the people who live righteously ever begging for bread or their children begging for bread. That David said that. There is a blessing in loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with everything that's in you because my breath comes from him. My life comes from you, oh God. I owe you all. This is why we praise the Lord in our house. This is why we sing worship and praise. How can you not? You've had a lousy week, but you walk in, you drive your $30,000 car when everybody else in Africa is walking behind a stinky cow. And you're still sick, but you, bring, you came, you live in America. You live in Idaho. 
It's a red state, for goodness sake, rejoice. If Christians can't rejoice over that, then your, your wood's wet. You're a blue person living in a red state and nobody's killed you. Yay, Jesus. Yes. You're loved in the church. Whether you're red or blue, yellow, black, or white, you're all precious in his sight. We're grateful for that. I don't want to go to a house that's any different. The only thing we ought to separate by color is our clothes when we do the laundry. Isn't God good? So begin your life, young people, knowing it all comes from God. Get generous with him. Tithe. Give him money. Give alms. Secretly pay for people's meals at the, you know, at the counter at the deli. Do things that are giving away what God has blessed you with. Now, as God blesses you, bless others. As God blesses you, bless others. He doesn't say spend all you got when you don't have a lot. Give me this day my daily bread and don't overspend the daily bread. Act your wage and give to God generously. Now, older folks, many of you feel you're coming to the end of your life. What has it mattered? What have you accomplished? What have you done? I don't feel done yet, God. My life is unfulfilled. Do you know what? Even if you'd have done the most amazing things in the world, you'd have to say, I didn't do it anyway. We've built the church, we've built homes, we've done things, but in reality, the most successful among us better be saying, except for God, I could do nothing. And when we get to heaven, I'm gonna tell you, I've done some research. God doesn't say, how much money did you bring with you? How many motorcycles did you own? He's going to say, how well did you love with what you had? How well did you love other people? How well did you love my children with what you had? And we all want to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant. So as we come to the end of our life, let this be our last prayer. Oh God, I'm so tickled that I get to give to you an offering before I go. I'm so tickled that you've blessed my children and my children's children and my children's children, God. And I pray after the Winnebago and all the vacations, there's a little left over for them, God. Thank you for that, Lord, because it all came from you. When you sent us to Kellogg and you blessed us beyond measure, else we'd have nothing in our back pocket. It's all because of you, Lord. And Father, thank you for my life that I've lived for you. And I trust you that it was enough. God, I gave you my all. I pray that you'll accept my offering unto you. And I thank you for my life, God. Can we pray David's prayer as we get older and not take credit for our accomplishments nor be depressed in the lack thereof, but to know you did the best you had with what you had and you loved others and you loved God.
as Lori leads us in a song, I'm going to ask Tony to just close the service if Pastor Tony would come up. Isn't God good, people of God? Isn't this a wonderful season to be thankful for everything he's done for us? If you're here today and you say, you know, we're talking about giving things to God and maybe you're here and you said, man, I I haven't even given my life over to God. Maybe I've just been wandering about what this even looks like. And if you're that person today and you want to begin the step of even giving your life over to God, you're in a place where you recognize that you can't go at it alone. You recognize that you can't live this life on your own. You can't save yourself. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And if you're in that place, I would just like for you to raise your hand and say, I'd like to begin responding today just by doing a simple act of saying, God, here's my life. You do with it as you please. I can't go at it alone. Second person I'd like to have raise your hand is if you're here and you say, I've given my life over to God, but now I'm being challenged to surrender some things over to him. They might not always land on the monetary side of things. It might be your past. It might be your doubts of the future. It might be even just areas of your life that you've said, God, you can, you can have everything else but this, or I won't go there. If you're that person, I'd like for you to raise your hand. And the third person that I'd like to have raise their hand and I'd like to pray for today is if you're saying, God, I want to increment what I've given over to you. You're saying, I've, I've trusted you and I want to continue to prove. I want to I continue to have you prove yourself over and over faithful to me. If you're that person, go ahead and raise your hand. God, as we see these hands that are raised and as you not only see hands that are raised, but you will also see their hearts, you also see our souls. I pray, God, specifically for for the person that's saying, God, here's my life. I pray that you would come in and you would not only wash the past away, but you would also give a new life, a new understanding of who you are. Pray for that person that's lifted their hand today that says, here's an area of my life that I've withheld from God. God, that act of surrender is one of the most difficult things we can do. But I believe that you meet us right then and there in that moment. And I believe, God, that you are meeting with people that have lifted their hands today, even now. And you're meeting them as they take that step of faith. And that next, that other person, God, that has said, I've, I want to increment that which I trust God with. Pray, God, that even in this moment, as a step of faith of just simply lifting up our hands to you, I pray that you would meet us where we're at. And we would see, God, even as your word says, that we would taste and see just how good you truly are. Lord, remind us all this week that it's not even about us. It's not even about how much we have. It's not even about even the result of handing things over to you, but really it's about the fact that when we live a life that's fully surrendered to you, we get to experience your goodness no matter what. Whether we're in the midst of difficulty, whether we're on a mountaintop, God, you are there and you meet us where we are. 
So we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, time has kind of gone away from us and that's all right. So to be respectful of those of you that are gonna go watch the MLS playoffs like myself, some of you don't know what MLS even is, that's okay. I don't know if there's a, a, an American football game going on today, but if there is, go ahead and go watch it. I'll be watching football at home starting at one o'clock. Anyway, have a blessed week. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you all next week.